Well, as we prepare to open the Word of the Lord together, uh, some of you probably know, many of you probably know, that during this season, we've invited everyone in our community to read through a book together called The Lord and His Prayer by N.T. Wright. And as part of our gatherings, we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer together to center us on what we're celebrating in the Christmas season, in the Advent season, where we celebrate the coming of Jesus and what that means for us as his followers. So today, I'm going to ask you to stand back up, and we are going to recite the Lord's Prayer together. It's going to be up on the screen. Before we do, we have extra copies of the book if anyone doesn't have one and would like one. If anyone doesn't have it in the budget to buy it for themselves this season, totally understand. We would love to give you a copy. Just see me after the service. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You can have a seat. We're going to be in Psalm 100 today, reading the 100th Psalm. We're starting an Advent series called Sacred right now. And Advent is traditionally the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And as you go into the Advent season, there are four words that traditionally Christians focus on. And we turn to scripture to help us focus on these words. They are hope, peace, joy, and love. So starting next week, we're going to be looking to scripture to help us center our minds on these words that are core to our relationship with Christ and our experience of life as followers of Jesus. But today, this is kind of an introductory series to help prepare us, or an introductory sermon to help prepare us for the Advent season, prepare our minds. There's something that we're going to be doing during this season that's a little bit different. Over the next four weeks, our sermons are going to be a little bit shorter, and we're going to be carving out time to make sure that we are doing something to engage the sacredness of this Advent season. Life is chaotic. Life is busy. It's hard to find stillness. So at the end of every sermon for the next few weeks, we're going to be taking about five minutes of silence. Now, some of you hated that I said that word, but that's okay. Silence is uncomfortable. It's awkward. Not because silence is awkward, but because silence is rare. It's abnormal in our world today, but we're going to be taking five minutes of silence to journal and process and consider the word that we are centering our minds on that helps us point our view towards Jesus in this Advent season. Does that sound good? Sweet, because we're going to do it anyway. Psalm 100, Psalm 100, it says this, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs, know that the Lord is God, it is he who made us and we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. 
Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today, opening your word, acknowledging your presence, and asking that you would speak to us. My ideas, let them be noticed and rejected. But if anything said this morning is faithful to you and consistent with your word, then let it plant itself deeply in our hearts that we would become like you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. When when I was in college, I had a friend who had a very, very loud laugh. Now, some of you are thinking you have a loud laugh, and that's fine. You don't have this kind of loud laugh, I promise. This is the kind of loud laugh that if she walked into a building and you were on a separate floor, you still knew that she was in the building. It was the kind of laugh that would, like, echo. It was I mean, zero. There was no chuckle. She did not own a chuckle. She went from zero to laughing at top decibel just immediately. She was a wonderful person. We studied youth ministry together, so we took a lot of the same classes. We were friends. And we took a class together called Adolescent Development. It was a psychology class that all of the youth ministry students had to take. Um, And first off, I kind of think all of the youth ministry students uh, had a disadvantage in this class because the professor did not seem to like us because for some reason people studying youth ministry have a reputation of liking dodgeball more than homework. So... Um, And that was true mostly because of the story I'm about to tell you. But uh, we were in class one day, and I don't remember exactly what the professor was talking about. What I remember is that it was very, very serious. It was a very serious, very important thing that the professor was talking about. It was the type of thing that would be horrible to laugh at. And it was one of those days where you could hear people breathing in the room. It was so quiet. I think the professor was talking about like suicide rates or something like that. I mean, just something really, really, really heavy. And what I'm about to tell you, I'm not proud of. It's funny, but I'm not proud of it. It just happened. I had an idea. My friend was sitting right behind me in class. Professor was on the other side of the room, so she couldn't see me. And I just turned around and I said, man, it would be bad if you laughed right now. And like I said, she didn't own a chuckle. She didn't go, huh? She went, ha, ha! As loud as she possibly could in the middle of this conversation about the just worst thing to laugh at. And everybody in the room turned immediately to look at her and I turned straight forward and just put on the most disgusted face that I could. Like, how dare you laugh at something like this? And we weren't as good of friends after that happened. Um, And I tell you that story to point something out that's not going to shock anybody. This is not a mind-blowing observation. But there are some emotions that don't seem to go together. There are some emotions that don't seem appropriate in certain circumstances. We as human beings are not very good at holding tension in general. We're not very good at holding contrasting ideas or contrasting emotions. We are really bad at the middle ground. But there are emotions that we've experienced that don't seem appropriate for the situation, that that don't seem to mesh. Maybe you've had an experience where you were having 
a great day. You got great news at work and you wanted to call someone and celebrate that. You were really, really excited. So you call a friend or you call a family member and you can hear in their voice that you're having a great day, but they're having a horrible day. And all of a sudden your joy doesn't quite feel appropriate for the conversation because of their pain or their grieving. Or maybe you have had an experience where you had the worst week you have ever had, but you still had to go to the birthday party. Or you still had to give the presentation at work and act like you were excited about it. Or you still had to congratulate someone for that wonderful thing that happened to them. Have you ever felt like your grief wasn't appropriate for the situation? Or maybe your joy wasn't welcome in the conversation? It's a pretty common human experience. Some of us might have had that happen in a moment. Some of us, unfortunately, might have had that happen during a season of life. Or we might have had that happen as a trajectory in our lives. Maybe you've struggled with mental illness in a season or for much of your life, and you have often felt like your emotions just aren't welcome because they're bringing down the vibes. Or maybe you've been told at times that because you're so joyful and so exuberant and so happy all the time that you're a little bit much and a little bit hard to handle. And what you're experiencing doesn't feel welcome in the moment. Interestingly enough, church is often, at least for many of us, I think, and maybe I'm just projecting my own experience onto you guys here, but I think for many of us, church can be one of those places where emotions aren't welcome. Where what we're experiencing isn't welcome. Oftentimes we feel like to come into this place we have to put on a specific face or imagine a specific experience or project a certain amount of joy. But maybe just as much, church can often feel like a solemn place. Church can feel like a place where maybe we can have joy, but not exuberant joy. Where we can be happy not too happy. You know, we live in a moment in church culture right now, and it's a wonderful, good, healthy moment, I think, but where we're talking a lot about mental health and emotional health and knowing our wounds and examining our family of origin, and we're talking a lot about repentance and confession, and we really care about justice, and we want to call out the leaders who are unjust and who are corrupt, and we spend a lot of time looking at wounds and looking at pain and looking at injustice, and I think sometimes our eyes can become so focused on the wound that we miss the joy. And sometimes in our attempt to be deeply authentic and honest, when someone is joyful, it can feel inauthentic. It can feel a little fake and a little forced. But the psalmist, this ancient song or poem that would have been used for worship, the psalm tells us to shout for joy, to enter the presence of the Lord with thanksgiving, and to enter his courts with praise. Every commentary that I read, every person talking about this passage agreed that this specific psalm is encouraging us towards loud, exuberant, raucous worship. This psalm is about a party. 
This song is about celebration. So here's what I want to tell you this morning, and it's very simple. It's not mind-blowing. Celebration is sacred. Celebration is sacred. Now, to be clear, I don't mean the there's a candle lit on Christmas Eve and we're all singing Silent Night and there's a tear in everybody's eyes sort of celebration. That's sacred too. But here's what I mean. What I mean is when you're at dinner with some of your friends and somebody tells that same story they've told 50 times, but it hits you differently and you laugh so hard you spit your drink out at dinner, that's sacred. When, when you're gathering with people and they're doing the same things and telling the same jokes and the same stories and you love being there and you're loud and you wind up staying up way past everybody's bedtime and the kids are exhausted the next morning, but you love being together so much that you just lost track of time. Celebration is sacred. When you decided to to save and pinch pennies this year so you can get exactly what that person wanted. Or maybe you got an extra bonus this year at Christmas so you went a little above and beyond. And you see the look of joy in that person's eyes when they open the gift and they are shocked because they got exactly what they wanted and they didn't think they were going to. That is sacred. Celebration is sacred. Joy is welcome in the kingdom of God. Celebration is a sacred thing. When you eat good food with your friends and family and you eat just a little bit more, you go back for seconds because you're not living a gluttonous life, but you're celebrating this time. So you're, doing, you're going back for another plate. That is a sacred moment because celebration is sacred. In the Christmas season, the thing that we celebrate is that our Savior became human. The theological word here is homoousius. It means in very essence human. When Jesus became incarnate, he didn't just put skin on for a little bit, but he became fully human and fully God at the same time, which means he knows what it's like to grieve and celebrate at the same time and feel like you have to pick one or the other, but instead to hold them both. He knows what that's like. Did you know that the Savior that we often call the man of sorrows because upon the cross he took every guilt and every shame went to a lot of parties. If you read the life of Jesus, what you know is that he is familiar with our shame and familiar with our guilt and familiar with our pain, but he celebrates and he eats food and he makes wine at weddings. Jesus knew how to celebrate. If you read through the Old Testament, what you read is that there are instructions for caring for the poor and for fighting for justice. There are laws that protect people. And there are also laws that command the people to pull out all the stops and celebrate. Because celebration is sacred. We as the people of God are the people who believe that while in this world we have pain and we have suffering, but we take heart because our Savior has overcome the world. And I want to be clear here. When scripture tells us that celebration is sacred, it does not tell us that we ignore the reality of our life. It doesn't tell us to close our eyes to the pain. It tells us that being human in the way of Jesus means two things can be true at the same time. I can be suffering and celebrating. 
Because I can have hope for the future while being honest about my suffering in the moment. I can be happy for what happened to you and sad about what happened to me at the same time, or vice versa. Celebration is sacred, but it doesn't deny the reality of our life. When you read through the book of Psalms, you find over and over and over again, we're instructed to shout for praise, shout praise and sing praise. And just as often you find the psalmist saying, my enemies have taken taken me over, and death is my only friend. Both of those things exist at the same time. Celebration isn't living with your head in the sand to the reality of the world. It's living with awareness to the reality of our king who has overcome the world. Celebration is sacred. So this holiday season, as we as Christians feel compelled to comment on materialism and consumerism and stand up for justice and all of these things that we absolutely should do, may we also be people who throw really good Christmas parties. May we also be people who laugh loud and laugh often. May we also be people who eat good food and enjoy moments where the only thing happening productive is being together. Because celebration is sacred. And when we celebrate in the name of Jesus, because you remember Jesus became human, but he didn't sin. So when we are, we are human, when we are experiencing human life, it is sacred. It is a sacred thing to do. When we, do, we can do that in the name of Jesus, you can meet, eat a meal in the name of Jesus and not read a scripture before you did it. <laughs> You can gather friends over at your house and not feel like you have to recite a psalm beforehand for it to be a sacred moment in the name of Jesus. You can be thankful for every good thing that he's given you and point your life towards the joy of Jesus without feeling the need to slap an Igthus bumper sticker on everything. That's the Jesus fish, if you didn't know what that was. That's a, it's called an Igthus, yeah. Celebration is sacred. So as Christians, we celebrate. Yes, we grieve with those who grieve. And we share one another's burdens. And we celebrate with those who celebrate. Because we are people with a foot in two worlds. We are people with our eyes in two places. We are people who are honest about the pain and honest about the hope. And don't force them to fit together, but let them both be true. That's who we are as followers of Jesus. We are people who celebrate. And I believe our world needs more genuine celebration and joy and hope. So this is your invitation this holiday season as we spend the rest of this series focusing on these words of Advent for us to be people who don't feel guilty about celebrating. You know, there's this interesting story in the life of Jesus that always makes me uncomfortable every time I read it. He's sitting at dinner, probably a really nice dinner in the house of a Pharisee who would have been a very wealthy person, and a woman comes in who has been forgiven of a lot of sin, and she breaks what's called nard or perfume on the feet of Jesus, and she anoints his feet and on his head, and it's expensive. Some people think it would be worth about 30 grand in today's money. Like, that's a very expensive bottle of perfume. And somebody, people around the table are shocked and they say, you could have sold that and given it to the poor. And Jesus says this remarkable thing. He says, the poor are always going to be here. She was anointing me for my death. I tell you that to tell you this. We as followers of Jesus are always called to care for the poor. In every season. 
We are always called to fight for justice in every season. But we are not called to reject celebration and joy for the sake of that. We are people who do both. We are people who can enjoy a wonderful meal while also standing up for those who don't have food. And we don't pretend like those things can't exist at the same time. The life of Jesus forces you to acknowledge tension. And we have to live in that tension as his followers. Celebration is sacred just like justice is sacred. Both are true at the same time. So we as his followers are people who do both. And this season, we can with joy and confidence celebrate the fact that our God did not consider his godness something to be used for his own advantage, but rather lowered himself, becoming a human, but not just a human, a servant, lowering himself to death and not just death, but death on the cross. So that through him, all might be reconciled to God. And because of this, He was exalted so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. So here's our sacred moment at the end of this teaching. I want to invite you to take the next five minutes and in a journal or on your phone, I want you to process two questions. First, what can you celebrate this season? Are you celebrating the gift of salvation? Are you celebrating the hope of Jesus? Are you celebrating your family? Are you celebrating that someday everything will be made right that isn't made right in this moment? What are you celebrating this season? That's the first question. And the second question is, how will you celebrate it? What can you do to celebrate God's goodness in your life this season? Let's take five minutes of silence to process these questions together. Jesus, we are people with much to celebrate. We are also people with things to grieve and things to mourn. We are people with a lot to hope for and a lot of things that we are clinging to hope for. All of those are true. And we lay down, or we attempt to lay down, the need to make those things match. We trust that we can be honest about the life we are in right now while still celebrating your goodness. We trust that our joy and our celebration, our happiness is welcome, just like our sadness and our grief. And this Christmas season, as we remember that you actually did come to our lives, you, as Eugene Peterson said, put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And we trust that you are coming. You're coming again just like you came the first time. Let us celebrate. Let us be people who celebrate with joy and hope and good food and good friends. Let us be people who open our tables so that others can celebrate with us. Let the joy and hope of this season mark our lives. And we will enter your courts 
with thanksgiving and praise. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.